0: Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it's timeless, that it spoke when it was written, it has spoken through ages past, and it continues to speak to us today. So as we open it now, we pray that you would be speaking to us, and that we would receive your word for this family, in this town, in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so we're into our second part of our series on Revelation. And Andrew Ekuban opened the series last week by looking at the letter written to the church in Ephesus and did a fantastic job. Thank you so much, Andrew, for that. But this week we get to look at the next few verses in chapter 2, which are addressed to the church in Smyrna. Um, And remember, as we go through this, this is effectively Jesus communicating to the churches, asking for a letter to be written down to go to them. Now, Smyrna is a port city with a history that was long, even in biblical times. And one explanation for its name is that it comes directly from the ancient Greek word Smyrna, which means myrrh, which is one of the chief exports of the city. So if you imagine myrrh, valuable stuff, port city, on the whole, we're looking at a relatively wealthy and affluent city and it still is there today. Since 1930, the modern city located at the same place has been known as Izmir, which is its Turkish rendering of that same Greek, Greek name, Smyrna. Now, the scripture today is short, so we're actually going to read it in two different translations, if that's all right. So the the first will be the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a literal translation that tries as far as possible to do a a kind of word-for-word translation of the original. And the second will be from the Message. Which is a paraphrase translation, which attempts to attempts to render the meaning of of whole phrases into modern day English. I thought it'd be useful to look at both, just to give us a, a fuller sense of what's being communicated. So, if you've got your Bibles, and if I keep a voice, um, we turn to Revelation 2, chapter Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and I'll it'll be up on the screen as well. So, first from the ESV. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And then the same passage in, in, in the message. Write this to Smyrna, to the angel of the church. The beginning and the ending, the first and final one, the once dead and then come alive speaks. I can see your pain and poverty, constant pain. Dire poverty, but I also see your wealth. And I hear the lie in the claims of those who pretend to be good Jews, who in fact belong to Satan's crowd. Fear nothing in the things that you're about to suffer, but stay on guard, fear nothing. The devil is about to throw you in jail for a time of testing, 10 days, it won't last forever. Don't quit, even if it costs you your life, stay there. Believing. I have a life crown sized and ready for you. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Christ conquerors are safe from devil death. Amen. That's given you a taste, two different um, translations of that passage. Now, when I started studying this passage a few weeks ago, the first thing that hit you often you read it, and you get an overall impression, the first thing that hits you sometimes. And the first thing that hit me was the realization that this is one of only two of these seven letters that we'll be st- studying, one of only two that contains no criticism. There's no, there's no but, <laughs> but this I hold against you. That just doesn't exist in this letter. And that somehow bothered me. It was really weird. After a bit of thought and prayer, I, I managed to unpack my thought processes a bit, and I, and I realised that sometimes I have a problem with being praised and encouraged, especially when it comes to interacting with God. I come to church and somehow expect to have all my failings pointed out for correction, and, and up to a point I'm happy with that, because that's why I've come, to improve, you might say. But if someone starts praising me, if someone starts encouraging me, especially if someone starts saying, God is pleased with me, that, bizarrely, is hard to take. And I guess I might not be the only one in that situation. Somehow I felt almost happier, preaching out of a passage saying, you need to do this, 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 and this to be better. Rather than, okay, times are going to be tough, but I want to encourage you. I want to give you hope. And there's this this weird psychological thing going on in me. And I'm so grateful to God for for starting that process off in me, because just another personal history story, I've been looking at, I've been known for a fair few weeks, if not months that I was studying this, so I started a few weeks ago. Um, And after I'd started and already started interacting with this and and trying to accept God's praise and encouragement better, we had a a gathering here um, of those who were seeking to grow in the prophetic with an outside speaker. And he spoke some really powerful and encouraging words over me that were so powerful and encouraging that if I hadn't already started this process, I might well have left the room during it because it was, it was that good, if that makes sense. But conversely, actually that hard to receive because it seemed so far away from the man that I understood myself to be. God was calling out what he was seeing, but I was necessarily wasn't seeing that at the moment. And even... Pastor and Philippe, I I do apologise to these dear people. I I did an experiment with them this morning. Impromptu experiment, nevertheless. I didn't ask their permission, so I apologise. But I happened to arrive outside the church building around the same time as them. And I was about 10 10 yards behind them. And I called out, in a loud voice, which I still had back then, something along the lines of, good morning, mighty and faithful in God, or something like that. And they turned around and were like, who, me? (laughs) And they're not even English, so it's not just an English problem. (laughs) Now, of course, there absolutely is a time and place for challenge and correction, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of this during this series. In fact, Andrew had some very helpful points to make last week. But the Scriptures, in general, and specifically in this passage, make it very clear to me that we also need to learn to receive praise and encouragement. Now, I did a bit of digging in the internet, and secular psychologists seem to suggest that difficulty in receiving praise and encouragement come come, come back to a lack of self-esteem. And reading that did not help my self-esteem. <laughs> but it's true that perhaps many of us aren't perhaps entirely comfortable with who we are. But scripture teaches that when we accept Christ, our identity is changed in a fundamental and glorious way. Our identity is new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. As Christians, our very identity is new. I may look like a late 40-something white European. But that is no longer my true identity. My identity is now in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. What is that new identity? We've heard about it numerous times here, but if you don't remember or want to look back, Ephesians 2, 13 to 16 gives us a clue. We are all together, one new man, one new person in Christ. Whether black or white, young or old, whoever we are, we are becoming together together that one new man in Christ. And this is an identity, this isn't an identity that imposes uniformity, but an identity that welcomes and celebrates the diversity of God in all of his creation. And it's the emergence of this new identity and new culture in us that God actually seeks to encourage with his praise and encouragement. Now, he can probably identify even more things wrong with the old me than I can. Because he knows everything, and I, like many of us, am blind to some of my faults. But he's always seeking to encourage and praise the new me that, like all of us, is still work in progress. And while I was preparing this, I was reminded of something that Brian, thank you, Brian, got us, he doesn't know this, apologies, but don't worry, don't panic. <laughs> something that Brian got us to do a few weeks ago that speaks to our new identity in Christ, he read out some great scriptural truths and then got us to say yes and amen to each of them. Do you remember that, Brian? Does anyone else remember that? Can anyone remember what any of those were? Well, it was a good job it was recorded <laughs> because I have a list. and I'd like to do it a bit different to how Brian did it. I'd like, with apologies to many of you, to go all, all Andy Woodward on this. And if you don't know what that means, you're about to find out. So um, Josiah, if we could have the next slide up please. Those are some of the things that Brian called us out to each other. I'd like you to take a couple of minutes, look at one or two of those, go up, find someone else and declare them to each other. Can you do that for me? Go. (sighs) (sighs) Right. Some of you look like you might even have enjoyed that. If you didn't, apologies, slightly. But you start to feel the, the truth of some of those sinking in. Should we just read them together, actually, one last time, in case you didn't get, in case you were somehow left out and no one spoke over you? Let's, let's stand up and read them together, <coughs> along with me at the same time. I am God's <laughs> child. I have been justified. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can find mercy and grace to help me in a time of need. I am free from condemnation. I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I am a branch of the true vine Jesus, a channel of his life. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Amen and hallelujah. And thank you, Brian. (laughs) Now, this is falling off. Not a good sign. Right, here we go. Was Smyrna a perfect church? No. The perfect church does not exist today. It, like its members, was still work in progress. But Christ... And I wrote, in his infinite wisdom, then realised that often humanly, when we say in his infinite wisdom, we're being sarcastic. But in this case, his wisdom is infinite and wise, yeah? Christ, in his infinite wisdom, decided that it didn't need to be reminded of its shortcomings on this occasion, but just be praised and encouraged for its fortitude in the face of tough times and persecution. Maybe that's that's what God wants to impress on you. Or on us today. You see, Jesus was encouraging the church in Smyrna for the way it was standing up to the, as it says in the passage, slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. But the scripture also points out that despite Smyrna's physical poverty, albeit in a rich town, the church was itself actually rich. Verse 9 I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So this brings us to the next point of application of this passage. We need to discover our riches. Now, I apologize for this, and especially to Heather, who's already got confused with this once before. For those of you who don't know me, my surname is Riches. So I'm now going to speak a lot about riches, but I'm not speaking about me. I'm speaking about riches with a small r. Does that make sense? We can cope with with a lot of riches, can't we? Excellent, excellent. You see, it seems clear that the church in Smyrna was materially poor, yet Jesus calls it rich. How does that work? Well, it's not a perfect analogy, but imagine this little scenario. You're on holiday at the seaside and you stumble upon a high-end boat show, you know, the sort of show where the prices are so many noughts at the end that you can't even work out, is that a million? You can't even work out what the number is. You know you don't belong there, this isn't for you. Those exhibiting know you don't belong there, and frankly that interacting with you would be a waste of time, because there's no way you could ever afford such a luxury yacht. Now replay that same scenario, but imagine that you'd actually gone purposefully to that same show, but you just happened to be best friends in the entire world with a multi-billionaire, say a Bill Gates, or as yachts are in the news today, a Jeff Bezos of Amazon. And they've given you their credit card with full full authorization to spend as much as you wanted on their behalf. You would be just as poor. But you'd have access to untold riches. With a small r again. And that's a bit... An imperfect analogy, but a bit what the Christian life should be like. God wants us to see our material circumstances, be they good or bad, as a complete irrelevance when it comes to his power and his resources. See, the pitfalls here are twofold. We can either see only our own relative poverty and thus discount ourselves entirely and not even try to do what God is calling us to do. So in our boat show scenario, even though possessing the credit card of Bill Gates would go and return home empty because we knew that we couldn't afford it. Or we can just limit our ambitions to those that we are sure we can resource ourselves. So again, in that scenario, we might go along with this amazing credit card, but come back with a slightly shabby inflatable canoe that we happen to find for sale cheap off the back of one of the big boats because that's all we knew we could afford ourselves. However, listen to what Jesus says in John 14, starting at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Brothers and sisters, does that give us a glimpse of the riches that are ours in Christ? I don't know about you, but increasingly I want to walk in those riches, riches in riches. I want to walk in that power. See, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he descended into heaven is recorded in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. So if in any way you're wondering what our frequent exhortations to be filled by the Spirit about, then then here's your answer. Friends, let's do everything that we can at every opportunity to be filled by His Spirit. And I'm I'm starting to see this operating in in my life as well. Hallelujah. For those of you who don't know, I'm I'm one of the elders here, but I'm one of the elders like Matt and JJ and others who are employed outside of the church, so I have a secular job. and I've taken on a, a new role recently with responsibility for more people, and one of those people that I have responsibility for absolutely cannot get on with another person in a different group, and it's now my problem to sort this out. And just to make it more challenging, they both live in China. And when I first started, it was like, because those of you who know me, I, I'm quite good technically, but I wouldn't list people's skills as my hot, strong point. <laughs> but actually, surprise, surprise, and it shouldn't be a surprise, the application of biblical principles, the encouragement to grace and forgiveness. And actually, not always seeking to be absolutely necessarily right, but to put the other first is starting to work what I can only describe as miracles. And people who haven't talked to each other civilly for about three years are now starting to find a a way to work together. And this is from someone who is, you know, as I say, people skills are not my strong point, but Scripture is great. (laughs) And God's power in us is great. And that brings us to the last bit of our passage and the last point of application for this morning. You see, Jesus is clear that suffering will be coming to this particular church. He's given them a heads up, if you like, and that some will be imprisoned or even killed, as it says in verses 10 to 11. But as always in Scripture, there's an upside to this as well, because, brothers and sisters, this passage, and in fact the whole of Scripture, teaches us that trials, tribulations, they're but temporary, and we will overcome, which is the last point for today. So a lot has been written in this passage about the 10 days mentioned in verse 10. What on earth does that refer to? Is it 10 literal days? Is it referring to 10 different ages that humanity will pass through before Christ comes again? Now, we need to remember this is a book of scriptural prophecy. It had a very real meaning to the church at the time, but also it has a timeless message to the church universal. So there's no reason why both of those can't be true simultaneously. It could have been 10 literal days back then. It could be seeking of 10 ages to come. But actually, for what I want to impart to us this morning, for what I think God's put in my heart, it's irrelevant. Which of those it is, or something else. What's important is that 10 days is finite. The suffering will end. You see, in a later part of his revelation, John hears a loud voice from heaven saying, and it's in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the future. You see, the kingdom that we live in is both now, because Jesus has won the victory, but not yet, because he hasn't yet returned again. Again, it's an imperfect analogy, but there was a point after the Normandy Normandy landings in World War II when Germany's defeat and the Allies' victory was essentially inevitable. But the battle still went on. People still suffered and died until the end finally came. And if you like, in an imperfect way, that's sort of how we are now. The kingdom is both now and not yet. We live in an age both of suffering and of miracles. And the Bible promises us exactly that. So as a Christian, any trials that we are going through will be temporary, even if they last for the rest of our earthly lives. Because our earthly lives are just a temporary part of our existence with our Lord and Saviour. Victory and the crown that today's scripture promises will be ours. However, that's what you might call Pie in the sky when we die. That doesn't, it's true, but how does it help us here and now? Well, if you're going through a really tough time at the moment, then I'd like to remind and encourage you that actually crying out to God about it is entirely scriptural. Now, cultural stereotypes are a, a wonderful thing. Some of them are helpful, some are not. But the English cultural stereotype of suffering in silence and just moaning a bit is one that we need to abolish, actually not a good one. and We need to learn from some of our brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world of other ways to deal with things. You see, in the Bible, the psalmist cries out as follows about his personal circumstances. We look at Psalm 42, verse 9. David says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? That's David, one of the heroes of faith, praying out, expressing his feelings to God. We need to be free to do that, church. Such prayers are okay. There is always hope. And for the psalmist, the hope comes immediately after he cries out. We read on, he goes on to say in verse 11, talking to himself, but why are you cast down, O soul? And why are you within turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, even in that utterance, in releasing that, he's starting to see the way forward. He's not even saying, I'm praising him now. I shall again praise him. He's recognizing he's in a difficult place, but he sees the way forward. I shall again praise praise him. It's the very act of crying out that gives him the perspective to start gathering hope and faith. And so it's that hope and faith that I'd like to build in us today. If you put the last slide up, please. Thank you, Josiah. So a hope and faith that is strengthened by us learning to receive the praise and encouragement of God. A hope and faith that is emboldened as we learn to operate in the riches and power that are ours in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And a hope and faith that knows that Christ has promised his church the victory. And those are three great statements, I think, on which to start drawing this time to a close. But if you were listening earlier, you would have heard me say something along the lines of, we need to go on being filled with the Spirit. And so it would be completely remiss of me to fully draw this time to a close without giving us a chance to respond. So band, if you'd like to assemble and and start playing something gentle, if you can interpret that into music. (laughs) I'd like to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you either need encouragement or you find it difficult to receive encouragement, please come to the front. We'd love to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you earnestly desire to see more of God's richness in your life, more of his power to be worked out, please join us at the front. We'd love to pray for you. And if you're going through tough times at the moment, if you're in that 10 days of tribulation and would just like someone to stand with you and pray with you, please come to the front. We'd love to pray with you.